Welcome. I'm Allison Jacks, the Associate Minister here at First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. It's so good to have you with us this morning. If this is your first time attending worship, a special welcome to you. You can find a link to the order of service in the live stream chat or on our website. Today's service, we will honor two important events in the life of our community. First, we will welcome our newest members with a special video presentation, followed by a new member covenant. And we will also honor this year's Reiner's Award winner with a second video presentation. So much to celebrate. In crafting today's celebrations and service, we are grateful this morning for our worship team, our AV and sound experts, Jonathan Silk, Xu Liang and Eric Shackelford on our cameras, Joe Chapeau managing our live stream chat, our coffee hour coordinators, Tom Brookshire, Alex Darr, and Les James. Thomas Brown is our sexton this morning. And our thanks to Amy Kelly, who put together this morning's beautiful flowers. We're also grateful to our organist, Reiko Odelaine, and to Mark Sumner, our choir director, who coordinated our musical offerings for this morning. He is joined today by our soloists, Brielle Marina Nielsen, Marina Maria Runitsky, Asher Davidson, Ben Rudiak Gould, and Gilead Worman, and members of our church choir who are here today in the sanctuary. <laughs> We are so happy to welcome them back as we carefully make our way back to reopening. We also want to take a moment in gratitude for all of you who, while not here today, are here with us in body and spirit, an essential part of knitting our community together that undergirds our Sunday worship. As we have each Sunday since last March, we begin by lighting a blue candle that with the kindling of this flame, we bring your presence and your spirit into this room.
Please join me in saying aloud together the words of our unison chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now rise in body and spirit as you're able, joining in our words for our covenant. The words are found in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of this congregation. And if you're watching for the first time today, thank you for joining us. It is the first time that we are joined by more than 12 people in this space, which even though I've experienced it before is making me a little verklempt. And I was watching Meg and realizing when she said the covenant and doxology that I was surprised you almost didn't faint because you've never been in this space. How many people haven't been here? Just even those of you who here ever been here where there are other, you haven't been here when there but other people in the space. Yeah. It's wonderful and really hard to take in. So thank you for joining us. Whether it's your first time or your second or you've been in this church more times than a human being can count. Every week, the link to this service, if you can't be here in person, is emailed to folks, particularly if you sign up for receiving those, which you can do by filling out our connection form, which so many of you have done in these past months. And, and you'll also get the order of service, which you can download so that you can follow along, but also it serves almost like a mini newsletter right now, so you can also see what's going on in the life of this congregation. So please be part of anything and everything that you want and can be part of. We normally have a Zoom coffee hour. Well, normally for the last 15 months, it's been a Zoom coffee hour, and that will continue for a while. Today, though, we're actually going to go straight from this worship service into our annual meeting where we live the principle that we 
agree and covenant to, which is the democratic process, the voting of our shared life and mission and future together. So please join that at 12.30. The link will also be available to you. It's our normal Zoom coffee hour link. And if you're a member in particular, please come and exercise your right, privilege, and responsibility to vote. We have a lot of things on the agenda, so let's show up on time and make the beautiful work of this congregation possible. There are lots of things in your order of service. I do want to remind everyone that next week, Meg is preaching the sermon that technically is the end of her internship, except that Allison and I secured with some grant money from Hinckley, Meg to stay on for another month so that Allison and I can go on vacation and know that all of you are in super, super good hands. So Meg will actually be with us until June 18th. But we're gonna celebrate the formal end of her internship. So tune in next week to the live stream for that. We have an art show. There's a notice about that in your order of service. So please, please come consider seeing it before it comes down. We have a blood drive, which technically everyone was supposed to sign up for. It'll be here, but technically everyone was supposed to sign up for it yesterday. But you might be able to swing a spot and give life. SCW is having a celebration of the scholarship work in particular, I think, next week on Saturday, so tune in if you can. And look for anything, anything that calls to your spirit and desire to participate or give back or deepen. This, I believe, concludes our announcements this morning. Our second hymn of the morning is Perfect Singer, which I don't think we've sung a lot, so it might be an appropriately imperfect singing, but let's dive in and join together. Welcome.
today, as I mentioned earlier, is New Member Recognition Sunday, and we are welcoming 13 new members into our congregation. These include members who joined last year, but due to closure, we were unable to formally welcome them and celebrate with them. So there are just two requirements for being a member, signing the membership book and making a pledge of record. But there's more to membership than that. New members, like those who came before them, come seeking connection and community, a place for spiritual growth and learning for all ages, a place to practice our principles and live out our values by doing the work of love, peace, and justice here in our community and beyond our walls. It's a place to learn to become a leader. It's a place to take part in rituals and rites of passage that remind us to live our lives fully each day and with purpose. Our new members bring their gifts, their talents, their enthusiasm, their questions, their dreams and visions for a better world. Let us welcome them with open minds, loving hearts, and hands that seek to serve. And while we wish we could be, have them here in person, we will welcome this morning, them this morning with a special video presentation. And following the video, Carrie Steer-Salazar, our board moderator, and new member Sarah Elliman will lead the covenant for new members. The words are found in your order of service. I now welcome our newest members. Deborah Baldwin looks forward to the weekly reminder that she is a spiritual being and is always in development. She also looks forward to fellowship and friendship with like-minded people. Horst Bansner is looking forward to finding community and getting involved within the congregation. Janine Bray looks forward to being a more integral part of our thoughtful, heart-centered community. Louise Van Horn and John Bowman we look forward to the opportunities for spiritual growth, social justice, and being part of a beloved community. Michael Bossier looks forward to growing as a community and promoting UUSF to the greater Bay Area. Nora Kata looks forward to making new friends and being a part of our religious education program. Dave Crady. The appeal of UUSF was the idea of a living tradition. The notion that a religion need not be set in stone, but that spiritual growth can happen not only to an individual, but to the congregation as a whole. Unitarian Universalism is a place that truly does call me to lead a more ethical life, 
while allowing me to go on my own spiritual journey. Sherry Della looks forward to getting to know and having fun with other UUSF members and to lending a hand in the congregation's many ministries. Jack Della looks forward to continuing to grow intellectually and to contributing actively to the well-being of the city through UUSF's community. Sarah Ellerman looks forward to being in covenant with the members of this society that is so meaningful to her. She's also looking forward to singing in the choir. Jay Gupta. We look forward to the religious instruction for the children, for being in community and inspiration. Carol Hepokowski is looking forward to finding inspiration and connections with like-minded and differently-minded people and to finding ways to contribute towards a better world. Paul Kensinger looks forward to continuing his journey in this community and bringing great art into our space. Carolyn Kohout, we are looking forward to being part of UUSF's joyful, compassionate, and inclusive community. Audrey McDougall, I look forward to contributing more to the congregation that has given me so much over the past several years. I also look forward to continuing my work with the youth in this congregation and being a part of the beautiful spiritual growth that happens here. Annie Pappenhagen, I am looking forward to meeting other members and building community. Miriam Pockerell Wood is glad to be a member of this faith community because of the focus on social justice and the value on and engagement of children in the church's life. Maggie Schilke, I'm eager to be welcomed in the community. I was a longtime member of the UU congregation in Brewster, Massachusetts. Sarah Turin, I'm most excited to get back to church in person so that I can meet all the wonderful people this congregation brings together. Today, we welcome into our community these new members who have chosen to make a commitment to this congregation. We are so glad to have you here with us and that you have chosen this community of fellow seekers to travel with you on your life's journeys. I ask the members of this congregation, will you welcome these new members with the warmth and comfort of your fellowship? Will you seek to add your strengths and talents to the new gifts that you bring to us? Will you share our triumphs and our struggles as our community grows and changes? I ask the members that are here in the congregation to stand, if you're able, 
to recite the Congregation's Covenant? We will. We welcome you as once we were welcomed ourselves. We welcome you as an equal member of this congregation, of its faith, and of our shared spiritual duty. This is a day of celebration for all of us as we honor your commitment to become members of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. As we honor your commitment to become members of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco, I ask our new members, will you seek to add your strengths, your talents, and gifts with us? Will you share in our triumphs and our struggles as our community grows and changes? We will. Eagerly and with enthusiasm, we bring our gifts and talents at this time to this place. We enter this faith with hope and possibility in our hearts, pledging to participate in and support the ministries of this church. We covenant to remain true to the spirit of love that flows through this church and guides us. I'd like to invite you now into joining in singing our meditation on breathing. The words can be found in your order of service. If this is a new piece of music for you, I invite you to just listen and take the words in and as you're comfortable, join in singing. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe. Recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human-caused catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, for all people held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances, in this repeat 
of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring our gong seven times for this week of seven days in which human dignity has been dismissed and our responsibility for that as citizens of this country rings out clear. We ring our gong additionally once this morning in acknowledgement of the ongoing losses to COVID-19. Since our church year began, 2,806,518 people have died globally. 404,174 people lost in the United States alone. We hold in our heart all of these losses nearly incomprehensible in scale. Each one of that number, a person who loved and was loved. And we hold in our hearts those nations where medical care is taxed to the brink of its abilities with devastating consequences and all who await the global distribution of vaccines that to be fair will require a significant commitment by the wealthy nations of the world, ours among them. So much to remember and to hold. So may we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Here, as things begin to open up, doors, windows, faces, let's enter into silence to be present to how we feel, what our spirits are holding in this moment, 
and then move into a time of meditation and prayer. Please join me in shared silence and listening for a moment. We gather, some of us tired and worn out from too much of our own company, too familiar with the walls of our own homes, both a sanctuary and a prison alternately in these last months of days. We gather, some of us eager to roam wild places far away, and also just to sit maskless and laughing naked of face in the living room of friends. Wanting to sing fearlessly in church, where song was banished as dangerous for the very air it pushed into song. We gather some of us in need of a little time to adjust to the whiplash of change. Or maybe despondent of the loss of so much time and so rushing to reclaim what we can face into the wind. We gather, counting our luck, our loved ones, noticing who was taken in the time of quiet and fear, mourning, rejoicing, loss, rebirth. We give thanks for the dawn, for the spring, for science, for persistent and courageous people, for the shoppers, for neighbors, and the makers of phone calls who broke the silence of alone, 
for the safe outdoors, for the masks and the precautions that made our connections possible, for books, for bad TV, for online yoga class and all the ways we learned and laughed and sighed deeply through the screens and airwaves that became our invisible roots that wove and held us together in this pandemic time. In this ground that was ours. And for all this year, all that it has been, all the ways that it has changed us for wisdom we have harvested and compassion that we grew into and inequity that we came to see and understand and the work it has awakened us to. For all that we appreciated when we did not have it. And all we appreciated because we did have it. And all we did not know we needed until we found it. For this year, for our lives, for each other, for what we make together of the gift of it all. We give thanks this morning and praise. Amen. Ubi caritas ad amor, Deus ibi est.
our congregation periodically awards the Reiner Award. The winner is about to be revealed. Good afternoon. My name is David Jones. I am chair of the Conard Reiner Committee at First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. I am here today with other Reiner Committee members, and they are Dolores Perez Heilbrunn, Rochelle Fortier, Bob Bacon, Mary Jane Micaria, and not able to attend today with us were Howard and Chang Oringer and Donald Williams. Um, this gift is for social justice work in the wider community as opposed to within the church. And um, it, we've been giving this gift ever since I believe 1990 or right around that time. Uh, at this point, I would like to introduce Bob Bacon who will make the presentation. This award honors the memory of the Reverend Conard Reiner, a Universalist minister who spent most of his career in social work, particularly providing support services to allow people living with mental illness to live in the community rather than in institutions. He was a member of this congregation for several decades, and shortly after his death, this award was established to honor other members of the congregation who, like uh, Conard Reiner, bring their Unitarian and Universalist values to their work day in and day out in the wider community. It's my great privilege to award the 2021 Reiner Award for Community Service to Shirley Gibson. Shirley uses her UU values and her skills as a lawyer to advocate for low-income tenants seeking safe and adequate and affordable housing in some of the wealthiest communities in the world. Shirley was born to the difficult life of a white liberal in Mississippi. Uh, her parents are well known in this congregation. Uh, Gordon Gibson, a few years before his daughter was born, served a jail sentence in Selma, Alabama for helping African-Americans register to vote. Uh, when Shirley was young, uh, Gordon was the minister of the UU Church in Jackson, Mississippi. He was called to that church to replace a minister who had been shot and seriously wounded because of that congregation's advocacy for civil rights. Shirley's mother, Judy, was a healthcare advocate, advocate for patients, activist, Shirley was a double outsider in the public schools of Jackson, Mississippi. She was one of very few white children in the public schools. and She was one of an even smaller number of students who were not evangelical Christians. Shirley came to the West Coast to attend Reed College in Oregon, then came to San Francisco uh, intending to pursue a career in healthcare policy she detoured into law school. 
She attended the New College of California, so she had a very different law school experience than I did or than most other lawyers did. It was a non-traditional school with non-traditional students where she learned a form of participatory, hands-on, street-level way of practicing law. She took those skills to a shoestring nonprofit called the Eviction Defense Collaborative. Then in 2007, moved her practice to the San Mateo County Legal Aid Society, continuing to practice housing law. She's become a, uh, become a leader and a teacher in that practice specialty. She says she prides herself on a client-centered practice, a collaborative partnership with her clients. The one thing she says she never wants to be is the arrogant know-it-all lawyer. She said it's awe-inspiring to see what it takes to be poor in Silicon Valley and survive, that her clients are vulnerable in so many ways and yet have the courage to stand up against all odds. She says it's a privilege to partner with them, that her legal skills are a tool to help people who deserve not pity but support. At UUSF, she's been the moderator of the Board of Trustees. She's been on the Committee on Ministry. She's been on the Committee on Future Ministry. She's held a great many other volunteer positions. Uh, at home, uh, Shirley is married to Tim Pori, who lives the stressful life of a trial lawyer. They have raised two children. Uh, while Shirley has been working and parenting, she has also for many years struggled with serious illness. She's outlived at least one estimate of a very short life expectancy. Uh, more than most of the rest of us, she's had to confront the question, if, if you only had a short time to live, what would you do with the time remaining to you? And her answer wasn't about travel, it wasn't about hobbies. It was about representing low-income tenants and advocating for safe and affordable housing, doing the same thing that she has been doing for all of his, her professional career. Ailey Weisel said our lives belong to those people who need us the most desperately. It's a great privilege to confer the 2021 Reiner Award for Community Service on my colleague and my friend Shirley Gibson. This chalice is, is a, it is an honor to present this chalice to our recipient, Shirley Gibson. And it says, Shirley E. Gibson, FUUSF Reiner Award 2021. Shirley. Thank you, David, and thank you, Bob. I'm so honored to join an inspiring group of San Francisco Unitarian Universalists who have blazed many trails in social justice work. It is indeed a formidable group. I'm fortunate to have been raised in our faith with friends and mentors who model living by our UU principles. You are all to blame for my troublemaking. It's not a coincidence that I would be drawn to the field of housing justice where we see economic inequity, racism, 
and the failure of capitalist structures that are agnostic to basic human needs. It is, the precise, it is precisely this type of work to which you use are finding their calling. My faith and its principles not only give me lenses to see when human beings do not have the security of stable and safe housing, it is a fracture in our interdependent web. But beyond this gift of vision, my faith also gives me the audacity to think that I can do something about it. There's a lot of audacity in our congregations and among my UU heroes. Sometimes in our audacious undertakings, we do get it wrong. I know I've made mistakes in my work. I've failed to check my privilege. I've gotten ahead of the grassroots activists that I work with and the processes where I think I know what is right. That's hard for lawyers because we're trained to be right. I love that my church and our denomination will grapple with getting things wrong and challenge ourselves to do better. That we have the humility to continue to examine our assumptions and our patterns in search for truth and meaning and push ourselves to evolve and to do better and to continue doing the work. That humility has been an important ballast in my role as an advocate. Nothing good I have done in my work as a housing attorney would have been possible without the grounding of those UU values, the nurturing of this community, and the gifts of audacity and humility from our chosen faith. Thank you for walking this journey with me and for continuing to do hard work in our community to move us towards social justice. offering will go to serve the works and ministries of this congregation. Your generous gifts will be greatly received. Thank you.
What a year. I feel like I've been writing a lot about easing up slowly on all of our anti-lockdown and protection protocols because we didn't want folks, well, to be in danger, first of all, but even so to have anxiety or trauma responses to a fast change. So when the choir came in on Thursday for their rehearsal, and again today after checking their vaccination cards, we let them choose green, yellow, or red stickers. Green to say, I'm okay, hugging. Red to say, I still want some social distance for reasons they didn't have to disclose or explain. And yellow saying, I'm kind of in between. And yet the health department told us this week through their liaison to the COVID command center, which is part of the Department of Emergency Management in the city, that we could take our masks off if vaccinated, when speaking, not worry, or singing, not worry about social distance. And our members who are in the public health and epidemiology fields agreed the science says we can begin to relax if we're vaccinated, and I literally could not take it in. I, who pride myself being logical and grounded in science, still want us to wear a mask for another week. I've required it at least that long to keep three feet apart. I, who looked at everyone's vaccination cards personally, need to ease into this. I am a yellow sticker person. <laughs> this year, this 15 months has changed us in so many ways. I think we're just beginning to discover. I was thinking about how facile we have all become, the majority of us anyhow, about hopping on a Zoom call and how resistant some of us were, I won't name names, in the beginning. I remember how some of you swore that you were not going to use Zoom. And then two weeks of being separated from one another bled into three. And then you missed your friends and your small group. And you wanted to get to John's lecture on transcendentalism or Elena's meditation or Amy's yoga. Or you were chair or on some committee or group and you knew that you had to do something to be able to do your part. I remember Joe and others on staff walking people patiently through trainings and those moments when all of us at some point were helping someone else who knew a little bit less than we did and then learning new tricks together, how to raise our hands virtually. You can still get tutorials on that if you don't know how to do that or go to breakout rooms and coffee hour and all the ridiculous virtual backgrounds and beautiful ones that showed up. And all this started with, do you remember all this started with, Mildred, your camera is off. <laughs> okay, you see that button on the bottom left? It looks like a rectangle with a triangle. Can you get over and click on that? Great, oh, Mildred, now we can only see your chin. So can you move the camera up? I mean, really, there's no Mildred in the congregation, but you know what I mean. And all of us laughing all the time, right? It had been us the week before, or we did something the week after. How many of us went on talking at long lengths only to find out we were muted? Part of the unofficial curriculum of pandemic has been undoubtedly Zoom, and most of us, a lot of us, have at least reached basic proficiency. What we did for love and for connection 
The week after the stay-at-home order was declared in March of 2019, there was a workshop that we were actually supposed to host here with the Oakland Church, part two of Dismantling White Supremacy. The year before, at the Oakland Church, 25 or so of us had gathered for part one. It was led then by the Reverend Jennifer Kwan, and the workshop was about helping us all begin to see in deeper and deeper ways, our culture, the water we swim in, the air we breathe, and see the ways in which it reflects and perpetuates a culture, particularly the parts that quietly or less subtly perpetuate the reality of white folks coming up on top or given every chance to do so. And the workshop was about beginning to see why or how we, as a religious community, might be able to do undo, to unravel, to dismantle pieces of that culture when it showed up in us and our life together and beyond. And the beauty of seeing something, as we all know, is that once you see it, you can't unsee it. So you're cured of sleepwalking through complicity in at least some part of the way the world is. And for many of us who were there, it made us want to see and know more. As part of the preparation for that day, we were asked to read an article and discuss it, an article by Tema Akun. Is that how you say her name? A scholar and a trainer and a writer who has focused on anti-racism and anti-oppression work. And the article we were asked to read is called, quite simply, White Supremacy Culture. And it's still kind of a foundational piece in the landscape of anti-racism work. And in it, Dr. Akun pulls together work from a whole bunch of different thinkers and writers and scholars and activists to try and articulate cultural norms and practices that permit our culture to persist in ways that consistently, persistently diminish, disadvantage, disenfranchise our biracial, indigenous, and people of color, our BIPOC friends and neighbors and loved ones. The list included things like defensiveness or either-or thinking, quantity over quality, only one right way, paternalism, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, individualism, objectivity, right to comfort. Some of those characteristics, even if you haven't read the article, you can think immediately how they might be part of an insidious culture, right? For some, it's immediately obvious how they might allow an entrenched system to remain entrenched and unchallenged. For instance, fear of open conflict. Well, that makes transparent debates about hard and charged but important subjects harder, right? And as such, the move to any resolution harder. Maybe it only happens or supposed to happen under those rules very slowly in back rooms where accountability is less pressing and right to comfort. Well, we can imagine whose comfort might be privileged in that right, and who therefore gets to say, as white folks often do, not now, not here, not that way, when they're 
being, when we're being challenged in ways that something is brought up, and all the barriers that puts up to how we do things based on how it makes some person feel. And of course, if what's being challenged is a place of privilege or something you've come to see as your own, well, you won't feel good about it, probably, no matter how it's brought up. So we can see how some of what the professor names made sense. So much of the article made immediate sense. It was great to see, and I couldn't unsee it. But there was one thing on that list that it didn't make sense to me intuitively. It was one that I didn't read to you when I read you the list. It was perfectionism. Perfectionism? Why that, I thought. In Imani Perry's book to her sons, Breathe, she talks about one way that perfectionism is destructive. She writes to her sons, quote, people want to truncate you. It happens to all of us as human beings, end quote. And she goes on, though, to talk about the power of the single mistake, as she calls it, how a whole life is allowed often to get written off in a racist and perfectionist society by a single mistake, how that gets amplified. Writers about class have often pointed out the same thing, how the wealthy get many mistakes and second chances and the poor and working class get just one shot. The rapper Eminem even has a hit song about it. Perfectionism at least the worst of it, sets the frame for erasing a person with a mistake. In some ways, that's what cancel culture is a version of, isn't it? Caught in ignorance or in a moment of blatant anything, bigotry, sexism, any error, and your life seems in danger of being written off as unworthy, or that's the way it can look or feel. Of course, we know actions require accountability, right? And mistakes, they challenge us to change and to grow, to make amends, sometimes to suffer the consequence, but that's different. Accountability versus losing your humanity or worth or having your life truncated. Perfectionism, Olam says, is a focus on one another's mistakes or on our own. On always seeing or naming how someone has fallen short or failed to meet an ideal standard, how mistakes or stumbles are thought to reflect on the whole person, and not just a, a part of life, part of the work. How perfectionism internalized means we fail to appreciate the good in ourselves, the good we've done, and we focus instead on the inadequacies and tending to and nurturing, actually, what she calls a harsh and constant inner critic. Do you know that voice? <laughs> Wouldn't it be lovely to cast it off or dial it down? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know that voice. 
I think I was taught it in a world of education, of sports, to name only two places. I know it showed up. Places that often were about only naming my faults as trying to make me better. It showed up in coaches pointing out the flaw in my serves after a game, but not also naming the amazing saves I had made or the solid team play that had shown up that night. It showed up in teachers who went over the 10 points I got wrong in the test, but never named the 90 I got right. It shows up now in my telling my daughter how she left out the dishes but not noticing and naming that she put away her laundry and finished her final history paper on time. And it shows up in the consistent, consistent, consistent implications that how we fall short is somehow more important, more dangerous, how maybe it threatens our very ability to be loved and worthy than everything we have done right or all the effort we have put in to try and make it so. Do you know that way of life? Do you know that voice? Writer and research professor Brene Brown in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, writes, quote, where perfectionism exists, shame is always lurking. In fact, shame is the birthplace of perfectionism. It's a shield, she says, believing that if we get it right, we are lovable, we are worthy. Asking how we can perform, rather than asking instead, how can I grow or deepen? These last 15 months, folks, we were thrust into a world of our own inadequacy. And for the most part, there was no escape. I mean, some people tried to avoid the technology, for instance, right? To avoid getting onto Zoom or figuring out how to get onto live stream. But eventually, pandemic wore most of us down. We learned all kinds of new habits, all kinds of new ways to be connected. We pushed past, in so many ways, resistance to looking and feeling stupid. That shame-filled space for so many of us that comes around when we feel inadequate to something new. And that experience I want you to remember it as we step out of this. I want you to grab hold of it, and I want you to not let it go. I want us each to press it into our hearts, stitch it there, and push out what would say anything but that this way of living is what Brene Brown would call wholehearted and what we want from life, fully alive, growing a soul this way because Beloved community, and we has, have just learned this last year, it requires us to be ready to stumble and to feel inadequate in moments so that we can learn to be better together. 
because during this last 15 months, we have also started digging in more deeply to conversations about one of the hardest and most entrenched evils in our nation. We have started to roll up our sleeves and reach into the places where pain and inequity is hidden in plain sight, and to step into this next chapter of what the work means to unravel and examine habits and structures of diminishment and hierarchy and protection of power over that perpetuate a broken system of human relations of unequal opportunity, inequity, that speaks in every way it shows up against true love of one another. And it is very confusing to try and see and remake one's relationship to our whole world and even see ourselves differently and how we have walked through the world. We have heard stories of pain, stories of hurt that happened within our walls, which is good that we've heard them because now we can work to heal them as we have and stop repeating the habits that allowed them to perpetuate and happen. But if we think that we have to be perfect, that the conversations that we are having or find the perfect solution, or be expert before we even enter in, or protect against making mistakes, or we won't be loved, or we won't be worthy of community. We will only avoid the work, or run screaming from it, or defend against it with every fiber of our being. And that is not the way, right? We know the way. We just immersed ourselves in it. It's imperfection. It's being ready to be inadequate to the task because the task is so important, it's so vital. I just tipped over a glass of water. <laughs> My nose is running in public. <laughs> It is bumbling, right? It's, it's bumbling open-eyed and listening and learning. The way, we, the way we learned when our whole world was locked down and upended to be something new. So, so join me. We maybe start to step out of this pandemic world and stepping into our imperfections. Arms wide open, not giving up learning, not giving up striving for gorgeous, powerful, excellent things in this world, but knowing that they come from the messy process of being wholly inadequate at the beginning or feeling that way at the start like the toddler who's learning to talk, or the fledgling that's learning how to fly, or the person who's learning how to really love, or the community that's learning how to be more and more a part of the liberation that is the work of our times. We're people, beloved, always beloved, figuring out how to make our way 
toward more and more beloved community. Bless us in our imperfections. Let's go. Amen. Bit by bit, putting it together. Piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. Every moment makes a contribution. Every little detail pays a part. I mean, just the vision's no solution. Everything depends on execution. Putting it together, that's what counts. Ounce by ounce, putting it together. Small amounts, adding up to make a work of art. First of all, you need a good foundation. Otherwise, it's risky from the start. It takes a little cocktail conversation. But without the proper preparation, having just the vision's no solution. Everything depends on execution. The art of making art is putting it together bit by bit. Note by note, working on projection. Lips, teeth, throat, keeping at a distance doesn't pay. Keeping the emotion, no connection, even when your fellow actors fail. Pointing at the subtext by inflection, helping your director reach perfection. Even though you have a strong objection to the way he's handling the direction, putting it together. Overnight, you're a trend, you're the right combination. You'll suddenly last in sensation. All they ever want is repetition. All they ever like is what they know. Gotta keep a link with your tradition. Gotta learn to trust your intuition. Otherwise you'll find your composition isn't gonna, gonna get much exhibition. You're through, love. And even if it's true, love, you do what you can do. Bit by bit, putting it together. Piece by piece, working out the vision night and day. Balancing the part that's all musician with the part that's strictly presentation. Balancing the money with the mission till you have the perfect orchestration. Even though you do have the suspicion that it's taking all your concentration. The art of making art is putting it together bit by bit. Beat by beat. Part by part. Sheet by sheet. Chart by chart. Chart by chart. Bit by bit. Part by part. by snip. Chart by shout. Chart by spat. Chart by doubt. That is the state of the art. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen.